0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on the show we will be talking to Stefan Höger, Vice President of Translation at Communicator Language Solutions Incorporated. Stefan is a native of Belgium from the city of Antwerp in the region of Flanders. Belgium, not many people will know this, but Belgium is actually a trilingual country with three official languages, uh, Stefan's native language which is Flemish or southern Dutch and I'll ask him to clarify uh, that shortly, French and German which is spoken in a small area of Belgium along uh, the German border. And Stefan studied in Switzerland, a country with four official languages, again, German and French, as well as Italian and Romance. So I guess the fact that he is in the translation business is not really a surprise. And these days, with a globalized economy in which we want to enjoy the products and services of the whole world in our home markets, translation and localization are big business. If you want to promote, market and sell your offerings around the world, you are inevitably going to need the services and expertise of people like Stefan. And, and communicate. So welcome, Stefan, and thank you very much for being here with us today.
1: What a fantastic introduction. It's like, <laughs> like I'm a world star. Thank you. <laughs> there, you go.
0: there you go. Tell me, so what is the uh, the official situation? Is Flemish Dutch? Are they two different languages? Is one a variant of the other, a dialect? What is the relationship?
1: So I guess it it, it, it all depends a little bit on your perspective, but, but there are some things that are objectively true. Uh, Dutch speakers in Belgium and Holland use the same dictionary. So that would allude to the fact that it's the same language. We do speak with different accents. And if you if you want to kind of get an idea of, of how those differ, I would think it's very similar uh, to the difference between American English and British English. You hear anybody speak, you're going to figure out immediately whether they're from one side or the other side. Mm. But the language is essentially the same Part of the complexity of the situation is that um, there's a lot of history intermingled Uh, And I don't know whether you know the history of Belgium, but we uh, gained our independence from Holland. And so that's part of the in the fold with the fact that
0: there was there was wasn't there a religious difference back in in the past? Like Belgium is majority Catholic and Netherlands is majority Protestant. Right
1: Yeah, that's that that's a little farther back. That's under the the Spanish uh, Inquisition that the, the Protestants essentially fled over the border and made up the Netherlands, uh, so to speak. So there's there's social, cultural, economical, and historical differences between the two regions. And that makes it so that when you ask a person in Belgium what what language they speak, you're likely to get the the answer Flemish. Unfortunately, my personal opinion is that a lot of times we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot that way because it makes it sound like a small dialect. In the north of Belgium, when indeed it's Dutch, and if you look historically, we speak the same language as in Holland, uh, yeah. essentially, yeah. so to speak. So, so t- tell me
0: then um, about your career today and how you came into this world of translation and localization.
1: Yeah, it's it, well, it, it wasn't a coincidence, uh, as you already alluded, uh, so to speak, that I ended up in this uh, in this industry. I actually um, moved with my parents. My dad was um, an executive for Bayer Co- Co- Corporation and worked uh, in logistics, of all things, uh, in, uh, for Bayer and synthetic rubber. And they had a headquarters in Freeburg, Switzerland, the French part of Switzerland. And so I moved there with my parents to the French part of Switzerland. Spoke Dutch at home, French with my friends uh, outside at a home, and then I ended up going to school in the German part of Switzerland at an American school. So those are the four languages that I uh, that I ended up speaking. And then
0: through that's German, French, Dutch, and English. Is that it? That's that's correct.
1: Yes, and a little bit of English too. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I yeah and then uh I I ended up uh in in my 20s having an, a number of uh tour guiding jobs and ended up meeting somebody from San Francisco and the next thing you know there's always a woman involved usually the <laughs> next thing you know I end up in uh, in San Francisco and from there it was it, it, I I ended up being in San Francisco during the dot com uh era uh, ended up working for a translation agency and a language service provider who needed somebody who spoke fluent English and French and got sent back to Europe to uh, to start the Paris uh, office of that company. And the rest is history. I've been in the same industry ever since.
0: And uh, localization, to me, that term implies a lot more than translation. It kind of hints at cultural attunement, connection, maybe even capturing the zeitgeist of a place. So from a business perspective, what exactly is meant by localization?
1: So this is one of these industry rounds, controversies, contradictions and and discussions that are ever ongoing. Um, Localization is a word that's very well known by everybody who's in my industry, but practically not by anybody outside of the industry. And a lot of times when we uh, when we mention the term localization, we get blank stares. So uh, it was actually coined in the mid 1990s to describe the processes of adapting content to different languages, regions, and and technical specifications. And it was born from the desire to reach new markets around the globe. Unfortunately, again, outside of our bubble, People typically have no idea what it means. And so there's an ongoing discussion about what we should really name it and whether it should receive a different uh, denomination, so to speak. Recently, um, I discussed with some of my colleagues, maybe we should call it LangOps, because that has a reference to language that's usually
0: easier. Mm-hmm. As in people- language op- language operations, yeah
1: correct yes mm-hmm. so, so that there you know um, would be a better understanding. I guess what what, what the, the trickiness with our industry is is that we fall under different headers and different uh, silos use our services to do different things. For example, um, we typically report to things like like product management or marketing. Or it might even be that we're involved in HR uh, and and we're doing uh, legal documentation uh, for a, a corporation to operate in a different locale. So uh, f- it goes from software localization to you know the, the the adaptation of software code and maybe an application in a particular language to a different region. To anything else that you could think of and so since we permeate so many aspects of uh, of companies i think it's difficult for people to really see us as an independent entity uh, which makes it it makes it tricky a lot of times when people ask me what i do and i tell them localization it's uh, I have this 10 minute conversation with them that we're having right now. And yeah. hopefully they're kind of catching on uh, at the end. It is, as it is important,
0: though, because I have I have seen, um, you know, company marketing slogans and so on that maybe were devised in one language, say German. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm thinking of one and I won't say it because the, the company will know <laughs> what I'm talking about. And I understand it in German and it works. But when yeah. it comes into English, it just doesn't work, you know, and they haven't. Yeah. They haven't really adjusted it. They've just translated it. So it's more than just translation, isn't it? It's kind of (laughs) expanding the idiosyncrasies of every place. So I think that that
1: kind of perfectly describes the the challenge of a lot of of global brands nowadays. Uh, And it's inherently a decision that needs to be made, whether you're uh, adapting content and customizing it to, to a particular locale Mm-hmm. or whether you develop the content for the locale by itself and not really copy it over um, <clears throat> when you're, when you're adjusting content, it's more uh, translation is obviously more than the, than the transfer of certain words from one language to the next. If that were the definition of translation, uh, I wouldn't be involved in it. And it wouldn't really be a business. You just go to Google Translate and run it through there. And that would be the end of it. But we all know that that doesn't really work. So that's kind of the the, the challenge. There's actually in the last maybe decades, we, we have kind of also added on an, an, an additional layer that we call transcreation. I'm not sure you're aware of what, what, was, what that Sorry, really what was that word? Is. Transcreation. Transcreation. So, yeah. So so you could see the, the marriage of the word translation and creating uh, in that term, so to speak. And so what it actually entails is the adaptation of of a concept um stealing uh third base i'm just saying something that could be an american expression that yeah. is very familiar to somebody who is in that frame of mind and understands baseball yeah, but if we, we, wouldn't,
0: to, we wouldn't know what that meant here yeah right? you would
1: have you wouldn't you, you wouldn't have uh you wouldn't have any idea of what that really meant in european culture so the the transcreation aspect of it would be that you would Use something similar, but rather than doing a literal translation that sticks within the framework of baseball, maybe you transfer it to soccer and try to find something that is transferable. And so, you yeah, and, and, and for
0: that, you need more than just the knowledge of a language. You need almost the knowledge of a of a culture and and what's going on in a particular place, right?
1: Uh, that kind of perfectly illustrates the complexity of the adaptation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of speaking another language is actually, it really depends on uh, being familiar with, with both cultures, understanding what works in one culture and what doesn't work in another Mm -hmm. culture. There's a lot of layers to this that have nothing to do with linguistics, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So
0: and, and tell me what what are the um, services and activities of communicate uh, for example? What would be a typical assignment, and how are, how do clients benefit from working with you guys?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it, it can range from anywhere to uh, the, the kind of exercise that I that I just described. Uh, where a customer comes and has a a product that has documentation that needs to be adapted for different parts of the world so that the customer can uh, sell uh, products there. Uh, We do a lot of e-commerce type of engagement uh, for the Canadian market, for example, uh, as well. And that's kind of really interesting. Some Parts of the world, Quebec in particular, have very strict regulations in order to sell products uh, and inventory there. So if you want to sell your goods, they, the product descriptions have to be available in French before you even can put them out on the market. Mm-hmm. So we do that type of thing where we have arrangements and, and, and push content through on a daily basis uh, where it needs to be translated and, and adjusted uh, very quickly. Uh, and we help clients just do market research and, and get a better idea of what it would take to adapt the product uh, for, for a, a foreign locale and what to pay attention to. Um, mm. Mentalities are very different from one part of the world to the so other. That might, so
0: that might be, would that extend, for example, to, say, in a food product, changing the packaging or changing the presentation or the ingredients even?
1: Uh, Well, maybe the ingredients might be, those might fall under different regulations uh, from uh, region to region. So what the FDA approves in the United States might not be Mm -hmm. acceptable in Europe, uh, vice versa. So those are some of the considerations that have to be taken into account, but certainly the, the The packaging and the, you know, we, there's a a very famous uh, scientist called Hofstede, he's a Dutch speaking guy like me. Who came up with a, a layering of the different personality traits of of different regions in the world? Mm-hmm. And so, the way you approach an American audience might not be the same way you approach a European audience. And we can go as granular as uh, as you want with that, uh, so to speak. There's a yeah. lot of things yeah. to pay attention t- to. T- tell
0: me about it. I've worked I've worked all over the world, and I've I've made plenty of mistakes. You know. <laughs> 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 so but maybe we we'll uh, we'll come up a little bit a bit more um, yeah. strategic and just kind of get your view on on the world and what's going on so in uh, in 2005 a guy called Tom Friedman who you you may know um of uh, wrote a book uh, the title of which is the world is flat a brief history of the 21st century and he argues in that book that the historical and geographical differences have become uh, irrelevant in international competition. So, what do you make of the assertion that the world is flat? In in that sense, I have my I have my doubts on that. I think there's a the,
1: the, when when we we're talking about globalization a lot of times globalization in the economical sense is under, understood as that uh, evening of the of the playing field, so to speak, everything is the same. We should just take one approach because the world is becoming one. And from uh, my uh, real life experience, uh, a lot of times the exact opposite is, is going on, although we might have the impression that the world is getting smaller and smaller, Uh, there's definitely differences in mentality and perspective and approach and there's uh, the simple the, the the simple uh activity of going to a restaurant in the united states for example is full of confusing things for a european audience that if you're not in tune with it would perfectly illustrate <laughs> how you can get thrown off the scent immediately and conclude things that are totally not happening but since we have a different uh, a different perspective uh, you're you're not in tune with them. So I think that that's I'm giving you a silly example like that. But I think that there's no, a well, lot I, of I've, I've
0: had that, you know, you go to the States and you order your meal and maybe you're thinking about ordering a coffee. And all of a sudden you're handed a check that you didn't ask for. Yeah. And then, and then you're expected to leave a big wad of cash extra above right. the price. that you Because you've gotten great service.
1: You're out <laughs> there <that> really quick. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, so that's the. the Whereas, the, say, say you go to a restaurant in, in uh-huh. Spain, I can imagine an American in a restaurant in Spain thinking, you know, when am I ever going to get the check here? Yeah, it's lousy service. We've been sitting here for an hour and a half, and the meal's been finished for
1: twenty minutes, and the waiter's still not showing up with the check. What's going on? Yeah. Don't yeah. they want to turn the table? That, in in a nutshell, gives you a perfect illustration of how you know little differences in mentality can give somebody a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. And these things layer in everywhere constantly, uh, and if you're not aware of them, you're gonna um, you're gonna plant yourself in a pitfall. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right there, so to speak.
0: Another another thing that's going on. So I've I've noticed that a, a number of people um whom, whom I know, clients and prospects and so on, notice people just kind of saying, Yeah, I've had it with this, I'm going to do something else. Yeah. So I'm seeing across many sectors, uh, what seems to be a result of, of COVID. We're seeing people kind of reassessing their priorities, change in industry, or downsizing their ambitions and expectations, just going off and doing something that they always wanted to do. So are you seeing this phenomenon in, in your sector and how is it manifesting itself?
1: Yeah, I keep on seeing I, I've I've seen a half a dozen articles over the last uh, month or two on this topic from The New Yorker to uh, all kinds of different publications that are talking about the great resignation. Uh, that is that is taking place, and that that
0: good, great is, resignation. That's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the great resignation. Uh, people are reevaluating their existence uh, after COVID. Uh, I'm kind of an exception to the rule. Uh, of working from home because uh, I actually have been working from home for over a decade here in Texas. My company is in San Jose, California. And so when COVID happened, uh, nothing really changed for me, but I know that it was a serious adjustment for uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people. And I think th- that there's a lot of us that are reevaluating what we're doing, what we're doing with our, with our life uh, a little bit, what it makes a lot of sense. Uh, people have accumulated a lot of stuff, but in the end, does the stuff warrant the, the 12 or 14 hour day uh, continuously? That's what we see happening. And uh, I have friends that are working in the restaurant business that are having difficulty finding waiters and waitresses. I believe that in, in logistic and supply chain, they're having a similar problem with finding truckers. Is that correct? Yeah,
0: truck drivers, correct. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then I think high tech workers are kind of sometimes hanging it up nowadays as well. Uh, people reassessing their life and uh, and f- figuring they might want to do something a little bit more uh, more balanced. I've been kind of taking a look at 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 those perspectives and trying to make sense of them.
0: Mm. And in what, what other ways has COVID affected your sector? Say during the emergency phase of the pandemic. And now that we're emerging and kind of looking forward to a post-COVID world of some sort,
1: yeah. So a lot, uh, a lot of uh, our interaction too is is uh, or was before COVID on site, where we did a lot of interpreting business as well. Think of it this way: you had a, you, you had a seminar or, or some kind of a, a business meeting with a Japanese delegation. We would send in uh, a set of simultaneous interpreters to. Uh, facilitate the meeting um, when COVID happened and we couldn't, no, could no longer go on site. Uh, that was a, a serious adjustment uh, in the beginning, uh, especially. I think Zoom uh, was something that. Almost coincided with COVID. I don't know how they how they figured that out, but it, as soon as COVID happened, Zoom seemed to be there. It's not like we didn't have that type of technology kind of before. It seems like, but these guys really, um, you know, jumped on the occasion to provide the exact type of service uh, that we were looking for. And that actually changed and morphed the uh, the, the activity. Uh, a lot of the the networking events that I'm going to uh, nowadays have morphed into online virtual events, mm-hmm. in which maybe before they were uh, limited to a geographical locale, but nowadays um, we see people from all over the world uh, jump in. So that's a globalization thing that is happening. Uh, all of a sudden people can connect uh, and look i'm i'm you're talking to a guy in dallas and i'm talking to you here in uh, in dublin and we're doing it real time and other than it's a little bit earlier for me you would never be aware that there's uh, that we're geographically uh away from one another yeah
0: we take it we take it for granted now but yeah uh, a small number of years ago it would have been considered extraordinary so talking of globalization over the last five or six years between Trump, Brexit, climate change, COVID, we've heard a lot about the retrenchment or even the reversal of globalization. But, you know, if you think about it, the rise of economies like China, like India, Indonesia, Mexico, Turkey, many more around the world, we're kind of headed to a world that's more complex, more varied, more multi-multipolar. So what's your own view on where we are with globalization and, and where we're headed?
1: So I, I definitely think that it's gotten a lot more complex, and this viewpoint of of the flat Earth globalization, where there's a one size fits all approach, in my mind is definitely the wrong way to go, and and a recipe uh, for not a lot of success. Um, I do a a lot of uh, business with people that are heavily involved in in the uh, in the Asian market and China in particular, and I think that there is a tremendous evolution there. Where uh, um, to simplify it a little bit, uh, 20 years ago, you could present yourself in, in China as an American or a Western outfit, and that would pretty much guarantee success and would make you look as, a, uh, as something exotic. I think there's a lot more focus now on on uh, national nationalism, maybe not, but it's 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 cultural pride that that is percolating to to the front. And I actually hear all the time now from companies that they're better off presenting themselves as uh, inherently Chinese and and uh, and Coming from an, uh, uh, a local angle, than to even admit that they're uh, uh, foreign funded and potentially turn off uh, turn off people uh, there. So we certainly are part of that evolution. Mm-hmm. We help uh, companies. So, so that that, that kind content. of
0: situation is actually going to require more attunement to what's going on locally, right? So if I'm coming from outside, yeah. say to Turkey, or I'm going to Indonesia. Um, I need to be a lot more in tune with what is the reality there in, in that case, yeah.
1: And I, th- I, I think too that that, that
0: it's the, the
1: level of complexity uh, and our tendency to oversimplify things is so predominant that when you talk to people about, say, uh, China a lot of times China is considered as the Chinese market as where there are really probably 200 different markets within within China with different languages and dialects spoken with different mentalities. Mm -hmm. It's not because they're Uh, I mean, China is ginormous. I think you and I were talking about Belgium the other day, and I think you were surprised uh, to hear that Flemish is actually Dutch. That's how we started this conversation. And you're just, you know, you're an hour away uh, by plane. And it's a little detail that you ignored because, you know, typically we don't get sucked into the details that much, uh, uh, um, the details of each other, so to speak. So that's my world. I, I, you know, advise people on those differences all the time and I prevent them from falling into traps that they that they wouldn't know about.
0: And then outside of um, business in your spare time, uh, I think you have some interesting and quite unusual hobbies, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: tell me about yeah. that so that that's in the Flemish
1: tradition too you, you, you know about the Flemish painting tradition right
0: yes I do yes. yeah well I'm not
1: Rubens but um <laughs> we um we we do have oil painting tradition in my culture and I actually grew up uh watching my grandpa uh, make oil paintings uh in his home and um at some point uh, that bug caught me so um I've been painting ever since. I've been making oil paintings for the past thirty years or so. So, if people Google my name, one of the lucky things with an exotic name like mine is that there's really not two of me around. So, if you Google Stefan Yui, uh, you'll H-H-U-Y you'll H U Y G H E H E yeah, you'll find me on Instagram or on Facebook, and you'll see my photorealistic uh, oil paintings. I I, uh, I like the mechanical and the shiny. So that's um, something you'll find out about me and, and
0: uh, maybe you'll like it. Excellent. And uh, is there anything that you're you're reading at the moment, book or listening to audio books or podcasts or so on that you would uh, recommend that have inspired you recently?
1: Yeah. So I've uh, to one of these articles that talked about the great resignation. I stumbled into um, <clears throat> Henry Thoreau's Walden. And from there, I, uh, I actually uh, found a book called The Practice of Groundedness by Brad Stuhlberg. And it actually talks about digital minimalism and, and the, the trend towards simplifying people's lives and um, how to, to uh, refocus and become better at simplifying one's existence while being successful in the business world and paying attention to the foundation of what's important for human beings to be happy, and so that's a book that I'm currently uh, chewing to, and I highly, highly recommend the the well, practice. Give me the, t- give grounded- me the title,
0: title again. Yeah,
1: the Practice of Groundedness by Brad Stuberg
0: Great. Okay. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Stefan. But as always, we're always we always get beaten by the clock in this in this program. So uh, thanks for being here. Wish you every success uh, personally and professionally in the future. Thanks again. Well,
1: pleasure is mine, Patrick. Thank you very much.
0: And thanks also to our listeners for uh, tuning in. Any comments or questions, do drop me a line on Daily, p-d-a-l-y, at albalogistics.com. That's all one word, albalogistics.com. Keep well and stay safe until next time.